it is a fitting time to reaffirm that the role of the Attorney General is to serve the rule of law and to ensure equal justice under law. For all? For everyone? Mr. Garland, just asking. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. For a few million I friends. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Oh, hi. From Pacifica Radio... In Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. It's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. Count them. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, an all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you once again for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Uh, so, Desi Doyen, over the past week, I noticed that we have had John Nichols of The Nation yes. as a guest on this program. Yes. And today we'll be joined by John Bonifaz from Free Speech for People. <laughs> That's a lot of Johns. That's John and John. That's John John. And I hope the QAnon folks are paying attention. I don't want to say anything more and potentially put our lives in danger. <laughs> but I think you can read the code. So, uh, yes, the great constitutional law, election law, and accountability expert John Bonifaz will be with us shortly to explain the new campaign from his nonpartisan group demanding accountability for Attorney General Merrick Garland. A call that renowned Harvard, uh, Harvard School of Law professor Lawrence Tribe described last night on Twitter as coming from, quote, serious and responsible people. And he asserted that, quote, DOJ must take note. Coming from Lawrence Tribe, that might mean something. We will see if the DOJ does take note. But John Bonifaz will be here to explain in full and respond to Tribe's comments, etc. And while it has to do with accountability for Merrick Garland, it also has to do with accountability for Donald Trump. So... Very quickly, before we get there, uh, as I have been calling for democratically controlled states to step up around the country and start, yes, partisan gerrymandering their states in response to what Republicans are doing in advance of 2022, when the GOP gerrymanders on their own 
will result in Democrats losing their majority in the U.S. House of Representatives, even if, as in 2020, millions of more Americans, millions of more Americans vote for Democrats than Republicans. Republicans will still end up in charge thanks to these gerrymanders. And that this time, democracy itself is on the line should that happen because a Republican majority in the House during the 2024 election, the presidential election, well, they can absolutely engineer an extra constitutional theft of the presidential election that they were not prepared to do in 2020, but will absolutely be prepared for in 2024. So as much as, frankly, I hate now holding this position as a longtime democracy advocate, and at least until Democrats can figure out how to pass the Freedom to Vote Act in Congress, which bans partisan gerrymanders in all 50 states, until then, I believe the Democrats must not unilaterally disarm and that they also should partisan gerrymander states that they control in response to the Republicans. So our friend uh, Ari Berman from Mother Jones offered a reminder yesterday on Twitter about the stakes here. First, he tweeted this breaking North Carolina's legislature has approved an extreme gerrymandered U.S. House map, giving the GOP 71 to 78 percent of House seats in a state that Donald Trump won with just 49.9 percent of the votes. He says Dem, uh, the Democratic governor there cannot veto what the North Carolina legislature does with these maps. And he notes that congressional Democrats are now running out of time to pass voting rights legislation, stopping partisan gerrymandering. Later, Ari followed up with another tweet uh, sort of summarizing here. He says GOP is rushing to pass extreme gerrymandered U.S. House maps. He notes that Republicans would hold 86 percent of the seats in Ohio, a state where Trump won just 53 percent of the vote last year. They would also control 75 percent of the uh, 75 percent of the seats in Wisconsin, even though Trump got just 49 percent of the vote in 2020 there. Sixty five percent of the U.S. House seats would be held by Republicans in Texas under the new maps, where Trump got 52 percent of the vote in a state, by the way, which picks up two House seats this year and uh, for the next decade following the 2020 census, thanks to population growth in the state by people of color. Nine out of ten of the increase in the population is due to minorities. Yet the state's new maps actually remove one Latino majority House district and add two new white majority House districts and leave zero black majority House districts in the state, according to Berman's reporting, which he notes, uh, again, Dems are running out of time to stop it. They are indeed, which is just one more reason why it is so important for them to quickly enact and, and then move beyond the two Biden agenda bills that are totaling some three trillion dollars of spending and a bipartisan infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better Act, uh, which expands health care, child care, elder care, parental leave, immigration, tax increases for corporations and millionaires, not to mention major action on climate change for the first time in. Um, oh, ever, ever. Yeah. yeah. 
And then if they can pass those, then they can focus on what needs to be done, including reforming the undemocratic filibuster in the U.S. Senate. If Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema will let them in order to pass legislation to save democracy itself, or at least try to, with the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, both of which need to be passed in the U.S. Senate. They've already been passed in the House. It's a very big agenda, but it must get moving quickly. And speaking of big agendas, the Department of Justice certainly has one as well. That is an understatement. After getting off air from our previous broadcast, the DOJ on Thursday sued the state of Texas over some of its new voting restrictions there, alleging that they violate the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. The federal lawsuit targets some, but not all, of Texas's SB1, which was passed by the Republican-controlled legislature and signed by Governor Greg Abbott in September, after Democrats had twice walked out of the state legislature to try and deny Republicans a quorum to pass this sweeping suppression measure. SB1 added, among other things, uh, new requirements for individuals who assist voters with limited English proficiency or disabilities, including a longer oath that prohibits certain types of assistance, such as answering voters' questions on technical matters or what the ballot actually says. The Justice Department alleges that those requirements violate the Voting Rights Act. SB 1 prohibits assisters from answering a voter's, uh, voters' questions at all. Explaining the voting process, paraphrasing complex language and providing other forms of voting assistance that some qualified voters require to cast an informed and effective vote, according to the DOJ lawsuit. The suit also takes aim at new requirements for Texans seeking to vote by mail. Under SB 1, with uh, certain exceptions, voters who need to participate by mail are required to apply, apply for their absentee ballot with a form of identification that matches the same information that they use to register to vote. If any any of this information does not match a voter registration, a voter's registration information, well, their ballot can then be rejected in Texas. For example, the suit imagines that someone who registered to vote before obtaining their current form of ID, a driver's license, for instance, well, when that person seeks to vote by mail, their ID will not match the registration information that is on file with the state, allowing them to, yes, toss that ballot. Remember, all 50 states under federal law already require ID when voters register to vote. Texas already requires a very strict and limited form of ID when voting in person. And now they are adding ID requirements simply to apply to vote by mail in a state where it's already really difficult to qualify at all for absentee voting. Those new rejection rules are too strict, the DOJ is alleging, and will in fact disenfranchise voters based on discrepancies that are not material to determining someone's qualification to vote, which is a violation of the Civil Rights Act. In other words, it may not uh, meet the bar of SB1, but election officials will still be able to verify that this ballot comes from the person who, uh, you know, is registered to vote, who is legally allowed to vote. Uh, 
But they'll still be able to throw out that ballot anyway on a technicality, which is something that the Civil Rights Act is supposed to avoid. Yeah, these people are the voters that originally registered. They can prove that they are who they say they are, and it is wrong to disqualify them based on tiny technical differences. Well, that's what the Department of Justice is arguing anyway. The new suit now puts two of Texas's well, the Texas Republicans' biggest and most, frankly, most offensive victories this year into court, into federal court against the federal government as the Justice Department is now simultaneously trying to stop that new Texas voting law and another law that has unconstitutionally in clear defiance of the constitutional right determined under Roe v. Wade almost 50 years ago banned almost all abortions in the state of Texas since September. Moreover, Georgia's new voting law also drew a lawsuit from the DOJ uh, this summer, from Biden's DOJ, as the administration is now under pressure from the Democratic base to take greater action when it comes to voting rights ahead of the 2022 midterms. But time is running out. And Senate Republicans have repeatedly blocked federal legislation to change election laws in order to protect voting rights at the federal level, including another uh, once again, another uh, blockage uh, on Wednesday in the U.S. Senate blocking a majority vote. And even one Republican who joined the majority of Democrats. Well, that was not enough to overcome a GOP filibuster to even allow this measure, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, to move forward to debate. That's the fourth time they've blocked it moving just to debate. Yep. So that, of course, is uh, is some of what is keeping the Department of Justice and its Attorney General Merrick Garland very busy these days. There is also, as you know, um, much more keeping him busy, particularly with some 700 cases now being brought against rioter insurrectionists at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. But hey, nobody ever said cleaning up after Donald Trump's four years of disastrous deconstruction of the country and of democracy and of the rule of law itself was going to be easy. And the matter of accountability or lack thereof for violations of law by Donald Trump himself, along with his cronies, now a full year since Joe Biden's election and more than eight months since Merrick Garland himself was sworn in as attorney general. Well, that, too, is becoming a matter of some contention for some legal and constitutional experts. That story The continuing fight for accountability for Trump's violation of law and what those experts are now calling for is all coming up on the broadcast today. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The Washington Post was the first to report on Thursday that the Manhattan District Attorney has convened a second long-term grand jury to hear evidence about the Trump Organization's financial practices and potentially to vote on new criminal charges against the organization and or its executives. An earlier grand jury, as you know, previously returned felony indictments against two Trump companies and Trump's longtime chief financial officer, Alan Weiselberg, charging them with tax evasion. It is unclear whether that grand jury is still hearing evidence about the Trump organization, the first one. One person familiar with the matter said that the second grand jury is expected to examine how Former President Donald Trump's company valued or in particular misvalued its assets when applying for loans or when paying taxes on them Two numbers that have been found to be vastly different on a number of Trump properties, even though legally they should be the same. It's a matter of potentially criminal fraud to increase the value of assets when receiving or when hoping to receive loans based on them while decreasing the declared value when paying taxes on those same assets, as Trump and his organization have been accused of doing for years. A source familiar with that case told the Washington Post that staffers for District Attorney Cyrus Vance and New York Attorney General Letitia James were working together closely on this phase of the investigation. The second grand jury's term indicates that it could outlast Vance himself, who leaves office at uh, the end of this year and would extend then into the term of his successor, Alvin Bragg, the Democrat who was elected on Tuesday as the first black district attorney in Manhattan, which I'm sure Donald Trump is delighted about. But the former president himself has yet to be charged with any crime in any of the New York cases, though prosecutors do appear to be circling the former president in their now two-year criminal probe there. Another criminal state-level investigation reportedly continues in the great state of Georgia, where the Fulton County prosecutor in Atlanta is said to be investigating a criminal conspiracy by Trump, along with a number of his close associates like his attorney, Rudy Giuliani, his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, his golf buddy, Senator Lindsey Graham, to encourage elected officials in the Peach State to change the results of their 2020 election. Yes, to encourage them to steal it for the disgraced, twice-impeached former president. On the federal level, the Department of Justice since January 6 has been very busy in what has become an unprecedented investigation and prosecution of about 700 of Trump supporters who attacked the U.S. Capitol that day and to uh, try and prevent the Congress uh, congressional certification of Joe Biden's Electoral College victory. That attempted insurrection to try and steal the election was incited by Trump himself, according to a bipartisan majority of U.S. senators at Trump's second impeachment trial, finding him guilty by a 57 to 43 majority vote, even if that was not enough to meet the U.S. Constitution's high bar for removal from office. The DOJ has also been busy with a probe ordered by Trump's then Attorney General Bill Barr, uh, in which special prosecutor John Durham was tapped to investigate the investigation of the 2016 Trump campaign's potential possible 
alleged collusion with Russia at the time. Durham has so far brought charges for lying to the FBI against three different people said to have been tied in one way or another to the Democrats or the Hillary Clinton campaign. And the nation is waiting for word from the Department of Justice, now led by Joe Biden's attorney general, Merrick Garland, as to whether they will prosecute former Trump advisor Steve Bannon for failing to respond to a lawful subpoena from the bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee examining the January 6th attack, seeking documents and testimony from Bannon. He has been found in criminal contempt of Congress by a vote in the U.S. House, which two weeks ago sent a criminal referral for that to the DOJ seeking prosecution of the right-wing activist who was fired by Trump back in 2017. Garland's DOJ has been bringing loss, uh, a lawsuit against lawsuits, I should say, against states like Texas and Florida for their new voter suppression laws and unconstitutional abortion laws. But as far as accountability for the former president himself in the nine months since Garland was seated as attorney general, there does not appear to be much action from the nation's top cop or its federal agency. There are dozens of allegations of criminal wrongdoing by the former president for which he has not been held accountable at all, at least to date. And now that we are a full year following Joe Biden's election, legal experts are becoming concerned about the lack of apparent accountability being faced by the previous president, a man who has arguably made a career of skirting the rule of law and getting away with what almost nobody else would be able to get away with. On Thursday, the nonpartisan legal advocacy nonprofit FreeSpeechForPeople.org published a statement urging Attorney General Merrick Garland to resign from his post after nine months of inaction to hold President Trump and his allies accountable for inciting the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, as well as other federal crimes that they may have committed. The statement, accompanied by a new petition drive, argues that Attorney General Garland has shielded President Trump and his associates from accountability by not only failing to take action against them for trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election and other potential federal crimes, but also by defending Trump-era Department of Justice policies designed to protect Trump from the repercussions of his conduct. John Bonifaz, the co-founder and president of FreeSpeechForPeople.org, leading this call for Merrick Garland to resign, joins us next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the broadcast. We are 100% listener supported. Thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? Well, apparently if it's up to freespeechforpeople.org, you should go, Merrick Garland. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The statement published uh, on Thursday at the nonprofit, nonpartisan freespeechforpeople.org site begins this way. Over the past 30 years, Merrick Garland served with distinction as a federal prosecutor and then as an appellate judge. Unfortunately, as attorney general for the past eight months, he has failed to take any meaningful action 
to hold accountable former President Donald Trump and his co-conspirators for attempting to overthrow the government on January 6th and a flurry of criminal acts in the months and years leading up to that date. Instead, he has adopted indefensible positions of the Trump Department of Justice to protect Trump from accountability. Since Garland is unwilling to step up, it is time for him to step down. The statement then goes on to detail a plethora of criminal allegations against the former president and his cronies, as well as questionable positions that the DOJ under Garland has taken that do seem to protect Trump against civil cases, at least, such as those being brought by women charging he had sexually assaulted them. The letter from Free Speech for People concludes, for all these reasons, Garland is no longer fit to serve as attorney general. His previous record of federal service should not blind us to the fact that he is simply the wrong person for this job at this time. Perhaps he can still contribute to the country in other ways, but as long as Trump and his co-conspirators walk free, American democracy is in danger. We need an attorney general who understands that danger and is willing to take action to protect democracy and the rule of law. Merrick Garland must resign, says the statement from Free Speech for People. Wow. Joining us now is the co-founder and president of freespeechforpeople.org and a longtime friend of both the Bradcast and Bradblog.com. John Bonifaz is a constitutional attorney who previously served as the executive director and then general counsel for the National Voting Rights Institute, which he founded in 1994. He's the author of several books on impeachment, including one calling for the impeachment of George W. Bush, another calling for the impeachment of Donald Trump. And back in the day, I should note, John Boniface was also a supporter of the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Mr. Boniface, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for having me. Uh, when we last spoke, John, uh, I think it was early in the summer, it was not long after Free Speech for People had written a letter to uh, Merrick Garland calling for an independent task force within the Department of Justice to investigate any potential federal criminal or civil violations that may have been committed by former President Trump, members of his administration, or his campaign, business, or other associates. Now, at the time... FSFP had built a coalition of public interest organizations and more than 200,000 uh, people, individuals across the country who signed on to support that campaign. I believe at the time you told me that you had yet to receive a response to your letter from either Garland or the DOJ. Did you, did you ever get any response back from anyone on that? We did not. We did not receive a response to that letter. That letter detailed... Uh, in a very extensive way, all the areas that need to be investigated by the Department of Justice with respect to Trump's accountability uh, for holding Trump accountable for his violations of federal law. And we, we received no response to that letter. That independent task force would have been a clear signal by the Attorney General and the Justice Department that they were serious about making clear to the American people they were going to hold the former president accountable for any federal crimes he may have committed, along with his associates, mm -hmm. and that no one is above the law. We, we know, of course, that there has been a longstanding policy within the Department of Justice, which we happen to disagree with 
that free speech are people and other scholars disagree with as well, which prohibits the Department of Justice, arguably, according to that policy, mm-hmm. from indicting and prosecuting a sitting president of the United States. But after the uh, transfer of power and Donald Trump leaving the Oval Office, he no longer uh, can uh, have that policy apply to him, mm-hmm. and and the Justice Department can no longer apply that policy to him. He's a former president. Robert Mueller, in his own report, highlighted uh, in, in his testimony to Congress that a former president could be prosecuted. So we are of the view now, after having waited many months for action from Attorney General Garland, that he is no longer uh, fit for this job. Uh, you know, if he was in the past, we, we mm-hmm. gave him a good faith effort here in terms of what we issued with that letter. But no action for nine-plus months in the face of this insurrection that happened in January, in the face of all the criminal activity that happened during the Trump administration, that that is unacceptable. We need an attorney general who's going to enforce the rule of law including against the former president of the United States. And I know that when uh, when we last spoke, I think at the end I had asked you uh, whether you thought Garland was, in fact, the right man for this job at this time. And if, uh, if I recall, you said you didn't know and that the jury was still out right. uh, in early summer. This letter, I, I assume, signals that, no, in fact, he is not the right man for the job. Or is the real aim here to sort of force him to step up and become that person? No, I think we've, I mean, look, we, we internally obviously deliberate carefully on this decision to issue this call. We, we've come to the conclusion he's not the right person for this job. We, as, as you highlighted uh, in, in the statement itself, we make clear he served with distinction as a federal prosecutor uh, himself and then as an appellate judge. He's had a, a long career, but at this particular moment, at this particular time, in the face of this crisis we have with our democracy and our constitution where there are forces in the country seeking to trample on it including the former president we need somebody who's going to be in leadership at the department of justice who's going to recognize those dangerous threats and not let the former president get away without being held accountable it will be a very dangerous precedent to set going forward if we have this former president and his associates not held accountable for any federal crimes they may have committed. What was the uh, what was the process that uh, free speech for people went through? Uh, you know, we've had many of your colleagues on this show over the years as well. What 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 was the process you went through in deciding to move from a call for a task force to a call for Garland's resignation? Was there any you know one issue or one moment? Uh, pardon the metaphor that led you to uh, pull the trigger here. I think that I think the final straw. Uh, is the lack of uh, accountability for Steve Bannon's refusal to show up before the House Select Committee. Uh, you know, we, we recognize that may still happen. Perhaps there's an indictment about to be issued against uh, Steve Bannon. But the last time we saw this kind of open defiance mm-hmm. of a congressional subpoena uh, was during the Reagan administration, uh, a Reagan official who refused to show up mm-hmm. to Congress and, and there was a criminal referral made by the United States Congress to the Justice Department. And nine days later, uh, nine days later, an indictment was issued. We're way past the, the nine days at this point. 
uh, and maybe it's a, it's around the corner. But that was the final straw that there was no excuse, no good excuse, mm-hmm. for why Steve Bannon is not being held accountable. And the reason why it's critical that he be held accountable because if he is not, then it's a clear signal to anyone else who gets a subpoena mm-hmm. that they too can defy the congressional committee investigating the insurrection, including Donald Trump. He he can go ahead and just say, well, I'm going to follow what I instructed Steve Bannon to do, and I'm not going to show up or I'm not going to supply mm-hmm. required documents. And in fact, he's in court now trying to stop documents from coming before that House Select Committee. So this was the, the final straw. We saw a deadly, seditious attack on the United States Capitol on January 6th, seeking to overthrow the election of, of November 2020 uh, to keep Donald Trump in power unlawfully. Uh, and that should be a, a, a clear line in the sand that, that there is time for accountability now. And it's not enough to simply prosecute the low-level rioters who showed up and stormed the Capitol, as important as it is to ensure there's accountability there. Those who planned this insurrection, those who incited this insurrection, they need to be held accountable as well. And that starts with the inciter-in-chief, Donald Trump. So, uh, you know, is there, uh, back in the 80s, when this this case we're referring to that came in and uh, charges were brought about eight or nine days later, uh, in that case, the House had voted unanimously to refer those uh, contempt charges to the DOJ uh, for the Reagan official. Uh, This time, obviously, it was not uh, a unanimous verdict. There were some, uh, I I think, about 10 Republicans who voted along with the Democrats here. Would that make any difference in the speed or alacrity with which uh, the uh, Merrick Gar- with the DOJ might might bring charges here or does this lack of charges now two weeks on I think since the uh, uh, referral was sent does that suggest they may not bring any charges at all I think there's a danger that they may not or they're going to extensively delay it and of course the delay mm-hmm. itself is a danger because there's no question that the strategy on the part of Donald Trump and his associates mm-hmm. is to drag out this process long enough to potentially see the committee disbanded if, in fact, the Republicans take control of the House after the midterms, mm-hmm. and they will disband this select committee. So their strategy is to drag this out, and mm-hmm. if there's no uh, ability to enforce a congressional subpoena against Steve Bannon, then this committee is going to have its hands tied in, in carrying out its investigation. But to answer your question about the outcome of this vote in Congress versus the prior vote in the 80s, there should be no uh, impact whatsoever on a prosecutorial decision based on whether it was unanimous out of Congress or whether it was a close vote. In fact, if anything, if anything, the the politics of that vote should have no uh, relevance Mm -hmm. whatsoever to a prosecutorial Decision. If, in fact, what is going on at the Department of Justice is a, is a view of this from a political standpoint, well, we don't have enough Republicans on board for us to go to court, then they're doing essentially what people criticize the Barr Justice Department for doing, which is putting politics mm. ahead of the rule of law. Mm-hmm. The rule of law applies to everyone, including Steve Bannon, including Donald Trump, uh, regardless of what the political considerations may be. We certainly know that there are elements within the Biden administration who would wish that the idea of an indictment of Donald Trump uh, and a trial of Donald Trump 
during the Biden administration never happened, Mm -hmm. because from their political viewpoint, it will cloud their agenda. It will no longer allow them to push their message around the economy, around changing, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the nature uh, of the economy to ensure more people are protected and all that. But that's not what the Department of Justice is about. They're not supposed to look at those political considerations. And I fear that there is some of that happening, where a decision is getting made. We're not going to go after Donald Trump. We'll go after the low-level rioters, but we won't go after Donald Trump because of the impact that will have on the politics of the nation. Looking beyond, uh, well, looking beyond the, the the Bannon matter for for now, because we could, as you said, John Bonifaz, we could see charges coming any second for that. And even looking beyond the January sixth investigation, there is just a whole list, uh, uh, panoply of of things that uh, your group is calling for uh, for Merrick Garland to look into, as you uh, include in your statement. A lot of people know. I mentioned some of them, but there's many, many more. Uh, you know that people know from the the Stormy Daniels case to uh, what went on with uh, Giuliani in Ukraine to all of the election, the attempts to steal the 2020 election. But uh, so, you know, first, if, if if DOJ is not investigating those matters, A, why do you believe that would be? And B, how do you know that they actually are not investigating those matters? After all, I mean, isn't it appropriate in, in such investigations to sort of keep them quiet until you're actually ready to announce charges? Yes, if there's more investigation work to be done. Mm-hmm. But let's be clear. When Merrick Garland showed up as Attorney General, Michael Cohen had already been convicted, had, been, had served time in federal prison, for a conspiracy to defraud the United States mm-hmm. to violate federal campaign finance laws. He was prosecuted by the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York. In the indictment that was issued against him, individual one was named as having directed that conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows from that indictment that individual one was Donald Trump. So let's just start with that case alone. Mm-hmm. There was no further investigation that needed to happen. They won a conviction against the president's former lawyer, Michael Cohen. He was put in federal prison because of that federal uh, uh, conviction. Mm-hmm. And, and they already had the evidence established that individual one directed that conspiracy. Presumably, because of DOJ policy, they chose not to prosecute the sitting president, Donald Trump, at the time. But nothing prevents the Justice Department from reopening that matter. The Barr Justice Department shut it down. They, they essentially closed the matter altogether. Nothing prevents the, 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 the Garland Justice Department from reopening it and from carrying out the accountability that needs to happen with respect to Donald Trump with that, with that particular criminal offense. Then you have the Mueller report. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were supporters of defending and protecting the Mueller investigation, but we were at the same time, as you know, calling for impeachment proceedings in the House of Representatives against Donald Trump because we didn't want to, you know, entrust everything in the Mueller investigation. But there were other, you know, allies of ours who felt like we need to wait on the Mueller investigation. Let's see what happens there and wait on it. Okay, so so the nation waited, or at least a lot of people decided to wait. Mm-hmm. Out came the Mueller report, and in that report it details 
10 different incidents of obstruction of justice that Donald Trump was engaged in. And again comes the DOJ policy. You cannot indict a sitting president. So when when Robert Mueller went before the, the Congress, you know, he was asked specifically, does this mean that the president could be indicted after he leaves office? He said very clearly, yes, it does. So there's plenty of evidence from that report of obstruction of justice, 10 different incidents. There's no further investigation required. We, we had the Mueller investigation. It, it, it was completed. And, and so the idea that for some of these matters, we just need to wait on Garland to investigate it further is frankly preposterous. There's already, for mm. these kinds of cases, the clear evidence established of his criminal wrongdoing. And the Justice Department has chose not, chosen not to move at all on those matters. And that is a, a deep concern, along with the more recent criminal offenses of trying to overturn the November 2020 election and the January 6th insurrection itself. So your contention, John, is that uh, not only are, are charges obviously not having not not being brought so far, but you're suggesting there is no investigation into these things. And you noted that, you know, at least the task force would have signaled to the world, even if uh, DOJ investigations are kept quiet, uh, you know, until charges are brought in theory, that at least it would have signaled that, yes, they were looking at this. Your contention is not only that they're slow in bringing charges, it seems like you're suggesting they are not looking into these matters. They have already decided they are not going to bring charges. Is that where you're well your position I, is? I certainly with respect to those cases i've just referenced mm-hmm. i think it's pretty clear they're not doing any further investigation on the mm-hmm. effort to defraud the united states conspiracy to defraud the united states commit federal campaign finance violations that date back to the 2016 election nor are they engaged in in, in further investigating the obstruction of justice of the Mueller investigation i think that's pretty clear uh, because they didn't need to do any further investigation. I'm not going to say that they're not doing any investigation of any uh, Trump, uh, you know, offenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may very well be saying that they're still doing that. Uh, but, but again, you know, the fact that there's been no action whatsoever on any of these offenses, including the ones that were well-established the moment Garland took office mm-hmm. as Attorney General, that is what is deeply concerning and signals that they ultimately do not intend uh, to engage in holding him accountable. Now, you know, uh, we're ready to be surprised, uh, but at this point, nine-plus months after he's taken office, we need new leadership in the Department of Justice, in our view, to ensure that the rule of law is enforced. Is the uh, statute of limitations clock uh, running out on any of these uh, cases that you're interested in, uh, to your knowledge? There, there is a concern that the statute of, limitation, statute of limitations is at issue, at least in the uh, defrauding of the United States, the conspiracy to defraud the United States in campaign finance violations. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is that concern. Uh, there's an argument as to why it's not. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that that, that that also has to be looked at. And, and then the other thing I would just highlight that's in our statement is the actual actions the Department of Justice has taken to shield Donald Trump uh, from accountability. You referenced this mm-hmm. in, in the opening, but I think it's worth highlighting again the E. Jean Carroll case. Mm-hmm. This, of course, is a woman who has alleged that Donald Trump raped her. 
Uh, and then when she came forward, he engaged in issuing a series of defamatory statements. She has filed a defamation lawsuit against him, and the Bar Justice Department's response was to say that he was acting, when he made those defamatory statements, he was acting in his capacity as President of the United States, and therefore he's uh, shielded uh, you know, from mm-hmm. any liability with respect to that defamation lawsuit. When Garland came into power, the question was, was he going to continue to make that ridiculous argument? Uh, it had nothing to do with the President of the United States to make these def- defamatory statements. And, in fact, Garland did. I mean, Garland's uh, DOJ extended that argument and, and is continuing to try to stop the E. Jean Carroll case from proceeding yeah. uh, because of it. And then you have the uh, serious matter dealing with what the Office of Legal Counsel of the Department of Justice provided to then-Attorney General Barr after the Mueller report had been delivered to the Justice Department. And there's a memo, apparently, that was written by the Office of Legal Counsel that is yet to see the light of day, uh, which was delivered to the Attorney General uh, before he issued his famous statement that covered up much of what the Mueller report had said. And an organization, Washington Crew, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, mm-hmm. has filed suit to try to get access uh, to that memo and other documents. And a federal judge has uh, issued a ruling in their favor uh, requiring the release of those documents, including that important memorandum, to the public. And, uh, and the Garland Justice Department has sought a stay uh, of that order, uh, and is appealing it on the grounds that it, that its executive privilege is shielded uh, from uh, from the public. And, and I now, know, why is the yeah. why is the Garland Justice Department engaged in in effectively defying a federal court order and appealing it? They have the right to appeal, but why, why are they engaged in doing that and not having the public see for the light of day what went on in the Justice Department before Bill Barr issued that cover up document? to the United States Congress about the Mueller report. And, of course, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm wondering, you know, as I'm listening to you on this, uh, you know, the, the claim is, has been made that, uh, and, and there's some logic to this, that, uh, you know, the new presidents, uh, you know, wish to protect the office of the presidency, and that, in one sense, uh, the DOJ may wish to protect the office of the presidency. Now, you know, I, I uh, hopefully Joe Biden is not going to, uh, you know, defame someone, uh, you know, when when he's asked about, you know, raping somebody before he took office, as, as was the case with Donald Trump. But the idea of protecting executive privilege, if you will, you know, there are some who are uh, suggest that maybe the DOJ does not want to indict a former president because then that becomes a political tool that will be used by future presidents. Is there anything to 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 that to sort of, you know, protecting, uh, well, protecting the 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 office and protecting the DOJ itself so that it does not become uh, a political tool in the future? Well, in fact, what what is at issue? is that the Donald Trump administration and Donald Trump himself used the Department of Justice as his own private agency to cover himself, cover up. And so what's critical now is that the Justice Department establish itself as an independent agency that's not going to carry out the political agenda 
of of the president and if anything doing what they're doing in this in this particular instance indicates somehow that they may have political considerations at stake that they may not want to engage in indicting a former president because of the impact it will have on the current president and his own political agenda and that is just as wrong mm-hmm. as a decision by Donald Trump to misuse the justice department for his own political purposes so our concern is 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 the inverse here mm-hmm. that the integrity of the justice department is on the line uh, and and if they're going to become again the independent law enforcement agency that they're supposed to be mm-hmm. They need to apply that equally to all, including the former president of the United States. And, and there is no get-out-of-jail-free card because it's hard for the nation to handle it or because, you know, we somehow need to come up with this fiction uh, that, that the president is, is protected in a, in a special way than, than others are. He's a former president, and if he engaged in these federal crimes, he needs to be held accountable. Uh, John Bonifaz, got two uh, hopefully quick questions here for you. Uh, Harvard's uh, renowned constitutional law professor uh, emeritus, I believe, uh, Lawrence Tribe, uh, cited your call, uh, Free Speech for People's Call. He cited it on Twitter last night saying, quote, I'm not ready to join this movement, but do think it is worth noting. These folks aren't off the wall by a long stretch. They're serious and responsible DOJ must take note. Now I know that you and Tribe have agreed and disagreed on various things uh, over the years. His uh, sort of endorsement there is certainly uh, noteworthy. But your initial call for the DOJ task force was joined by a number of other uh, good government groups and attorneys and as noted about 200,000 individuals. Have you begun to receive similar buy-in on this call from some of those other groups you mentioned crew you know, or interest even from the mainstream media yet? Because, you know, while I'm not surprised that you were joined by the groups in the call for a DOJ task force uh, to investigate Donald Trump, I suspect that Democrats and Democratic-leaning groups may not be as quick to join this call for Merrick Garland's resignation, given that it's obviously going to be seen as some sort of an embarrassment to the current President Joe Biden. Well, I think there's there's truth to that. I think there's some people who will hold back and they don't want to be calling for the resignation of, of the Attorney General for that reason. I've certainly seen various comments online that says this is going to hurt Biden and hurt the Democrats. Mm-hmm. You know, we're a nonpartisan organization. We call it like we see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were plenty of people who, when we called for impeachment of Donald Trump, who thought that was, you know, uh, too soon, and we had to defer to Nancy Pelosi and the leadership in the House uh, on that decision and, and, and essentially waited out. For, for years, as, as ultimately occurred with the House of Representatives. So we're not, we're not going to you know, play this from a partisan perspective, and I understand that others may want to do that, but that's not where we are. We, we look at this as the Constitution, the rule of law, democracy on the line, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why we're standing up. We appreciate what uh, Professor Lawrence Tribe has said, and I publicly thanked him uh, you know, in response. I, I accept that he, like others, may not be at the place where we are calling for his resignation, but as he highlights, this is a serious endeavor, a serious call, and it ought to be treated as such. We encourage people to read the full statement mm-hmm. that's on our website at freespeechforpeople.org. And I do expect others will join 
uh, this call as the days and weeks go on when we unfortunately continue to see inaction out of this Department of Justice for holding the insider-in-chief accountable for his various federal criminal offenses. Uh, finally, John Boniface, I've always felt that the state prosecutions uh, in, in New York and particularly in Georgia, uh, where, where the case there seems to be much simpler as far as uh, you know Trump's attempt to uh, to steal the election in Georgia, not to overturn results, not to question them, not to declare fraud, but to steal the 2020 election. Uh, it actually uh, that case in Georgia and, uh, you know, seems much simpler than a lot of these other cases. Do you have more confidence in any of these state cases coming forward? Because so far we're still not seeing accountability for Trump himself, either in New York or in Georgia. Are, or are you uh, losing faith in those investigations as well? No, I have confidence in those investigations, but I think it's a it's a grave mistake for the Department of Justice to potentially look at those investigations as replacing their responsibility to conduct the federal investigations for federal criminal offenses. Mm. Those state investigations can only apply to state criminal law, not mm. to the federal criminal law, and, and that's the job of the Justice Department, and I think that's why, all the more, why we've issued this call, because there was plenty of, of talk early on in this administration that, uh, you know, the Justice Department might look at those state investigations as the way to go. Takes Biden off the hook, takes Garland off the hook, they'll go ahead and hold Trump accountable. And we now have seen that that hasn't happened yet, and, and who knows whether it does happen through those investigations, but it's not the same thing by any stretch of the imagination to dealing with the various federal criminal offenses that Donald Trump and his associates may have committed, including the insurrection itself. Keep pressing, John Bonifaz. Uh, and is there anything, by the way, that the, the, the people can do? Is there a, uh, a, an individual sign-on for this uh, statement yes. as well? Yes, there is. We urge people to join this call with our petition online that you can find at garlandmustresign.org, garlandmustresign.org, or at freespeechforpeople.org. You can find our statement on our blog and, and link to it there. Uh, we urge people to share that with your friends and your networks to help lift up this call uh, for justice, for accountability against this former president. John Bonifaz is the co-founder and president of freespeechforpeople.org, the national nonprofit, nonpartisan organization uh, leading the fight for years by challenging big money and politics and corruption at the very highest levels of government. Uh, also, by the way, fighting for free and fair elections. Uh, you can find John on the Twitters at John Bonifaz. You can find Free Speech for People, of course, on, on the Twitters. They are FSFP, as well as their website, freespeechforpeople.org. And yes, GarlandMustResign.org. John Bonifaz, always a delight speaking with you, my friend. Keep up the good work. Hope to speak again soon, sir. Brad, thank you. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you. All right. Uh, well, Desi Doyne, what do you think? Should Merrick Garland step down? Well, 
Yeah, I think so. Really? Unfortunately, wow. I don't know that he's up to the job. And that was something that pretty much every guest that we've had on since his confirmation yeah. have all said, listen, he's a great human being. He is a great litigator. However, we don't think he necessarily is aggressive enough and he's too much of an institutionalist mm. for the DOJ to be the kind of aggressive prosecutor that we actually need to make sure that these these obvious criminal violations don't go unpunished and that people don't... Don't, don't see that there's going to be no consequences, so they do this again and again and again. Yeah, whether he's able to meet the moment, I guess, is has been the question for the past eight months since he's yeah. uh, uh, been installed there. Uh, you know, the DOJ is doing a lot of good stuff, but uh, yeah, you got to wonder, you know, and I got to tell you, Free Speech for People is one of my favorite organizations. They have often led the way in a whole bunch of stuff where, frankly, the nation... Uh, needs uh, leaders to step forward. This is going to be a tough one, obviously, because this is going to go against uh, what, you know, a lot of what, uh, you know, as I mentioned, that, you know, people will see this as an embarrassment for uh, for Joe Biden. Frankly, I don't care about that. I care about accountability and the rule of law. But it'll be interesting to see who who if some of these other groups who, for example, came along with his call for a task force early on, if they now come along and join this call for Garland to step down, it'll also be interesting to see if this call in and of itself, you know, pushes the DOJ to step up. Yeah, and that would be my do hope. what we're all sort of uh, calling for and waiting for now for months and months and months. Look, it's uncomfortable, but the rule of law really has to take precedence. Anyway, thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Of course, thanks again to John Bonifaz. And my thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. It is always an honor. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. And, of course, what we do every day over your public airwaves relies on only you to help us continue it by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Love getting your emails. And you'll also find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Music.